Greetings and welcome to the worship services of Alamo First Baptist Church. I'm Brother Chris Rigby. I'm standing here this morning in front of our bell. This is the original bell that was at our old location uh, years ago. It uh, was there when the church was first built and it was always a call to worship. Well, when we moved to our new campus here several years ago, we brought it with us. And not too long ago, we got to put it up. We're so excited about it because it reminds us that we're coming together into this building to worship. And we are excited that today you've decided to tune in to our broadcast to worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our prayer this morning is that you will see the great love that Jesus has for you and the great love that we have for you as well this morning as we worship together. We look forward to meeting you and your family and we invite you to be a part of any of our worship services, our activities or ministries here. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, probably the best way to do that is just drop us a line at our email address, alamofirstbaptist at gmail.com. All of it spelled out, just gmail.com, alamofirstbaptist. We look forward this morning to worshiping with you. We pray God's blessings upon you and your family as we go inside now and we worship together. Let's go ring that bell for Jesus.
y'all stand with me as we sing. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest night, His light will shine. God is good. God is good all the time. If you're Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Y'all doing good? Good, good. Just a couple of announcements that we want to be sure to make. Uh, first of all, uh, youth, you've got paintballing this afternoon. Y'all going to leave church at 2.15, and I think the cost is $30, right? So you need to have your $30 and be here a little bit before 2.15, and y'all going to take off and enjoy a fellowship together. Also, parents, parents are welcome to come and get shot at. Okay. <laughs> If you're brave, show up, all right? Uh, kids, we've also got a bike-a-thon that is going to be October the 4th. That's at 4 o'clock uh, on October the 4th at 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock, uh, and it's going to be in the parking lot. It is a, a donation for our uh, Crockett Christmas store. And if any questions on that, be sure to see Megan. Uh, she'll take care of that for you and answer all of those. But uh, you will need a helmet, all right? Helmets are required. Uh, so uh, that's on October the 4th. And speaking of October, the deacons have decided uh, last week when they met, uh, our plan moving forward is going to uh, open some more things up, provided again that uh, nothing happens as far as uh, the COVID numbers spiking within our congregation and in our community. But on October, uh, the 4th, that first Sunday, we're going to open Sunday school back up, all right? So all the classes that want to come and meet in their normal classroom, you're uh, welcome to, to do that, okay? Some, I think, have already uh, uh, have done that because they're just a small class and they're, they're comfortable meeting. But on October the 4th, our kids' uh, Sunday school classes and our youth and, and our young adults, the whole gamut is going to meet. So if you've been kind of in a different classroom, uh, you'll need to be prepared to go back to your normal class, all right? And if that classroom isn't big enough, then please see me or see Jasper, and we will try to uh, accommodate a bigger space somewhere or perhaps a different time and space somewhere uh, for your class to meet. But just uh, see Jasper or myself, and we'll take care of you. And then also in October, we're going to reopen 
uh, the children's uh, ministries that we do on Wednesday night. We've reopened the Wednesday night service. Uh, it'll still be online, and uh, we'll still be doing that as we do it. But we're going to try to to open up our children's part of things and say so. Be in prayer that all of those things uh, go off uh, good, and we don't have any uh, issues uh, with uh, the COVID uh, COVID virus. But let's uh, have a word of prayer as we open up our worship uh, this morning, and also let's uh, give thanks for our offering as it has come in and continues to come in uh, in the many different ways. So, Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that we have this opportunity to be here in your house to be. Uh, in the body of faith and to uh, be looking forward to opening some more uh, ministries back up and beginning to get back in to uh, that routine of uh, fellowshipping uh, in person together. Lord, we know there's still the risk of uh, COVID. We know that that's still a concern. And Lord, we uh, have uh, practiced as best we can the uh, social distancing and safe interaction with masks and, and keeping our hands uh, with uh, sanitation uh, cleaner that keep the germs down as best we can, Lord. But Lord, as we try to do these things, we ask for your divine help to, to keep uh, this virus uh, outside of the fellowship of our church so that we can honor, glorify, and worship you, Lord. We know that our kids particularly need to be in your house and and lord need to be in that discipling sunday school and uh, ministry program so that lord they can learn and grow in their faith and lord we continue just to ask you to to watch over all the things that uh, we we seek to do here and lord bless the offering that's been coming in that that's given today and that uh, we receive lord that it goes to the glory of the kingdom of God and to your name, Jesus, we ask. Amen. Amen. All right, stand with us again as we continue to worship together. Give praise to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. Grace of God. 
notice as we're going through these songs today that it's all about God's presence in our life. And regardless of what we're going through, God is always there. His grace is enough. Great is your faithfulness, O oh God. You wrestle with the sinner's restless heart. You lead us by still waters into mercy. And nothing can keep us apart. So faithfulness endures forever and ever. Amen. Great is thy faith. 
throughout the Bible, it gives us stories of men and women who had to rely on God to get them through their situations, whether it be Joseph that was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers and sisters or the, the three that were in the fire and saw God there with them, or even Moses when, they were, when he was bringing the Israelites out of Egypt and uh, God parted the waters and held the waters back so that the Israelites can, can uh, go through on dry land. God is there with us through any trial, anything we're going through, and I uh, hope you'll remember that today. Y'all can be seated, sorry. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning And I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Standing next to me, there was another in the waters, holding back the sea. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden, where another died for me. There was another in the fire.
There is no other name but the name that is Jesus. He who was and still is and will be through it all. So come what may in the space between all the things unseen and this reckoning. I know I will never be Father God, we come before you again this morning, and we just uh, we thank you that we know you are always there with us, regardless of what we're going through in our lives, uh, whether that be trouble on the road, trouble in our personal lives, uh, the loss of a loved one. Lord, you are always there, and you promise whatever fire we're going through, you're going to be there with us. You're going to see us through that, and we just thank you that we have that promise in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we want to tell you we love you today. We ask it all in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bible this morning and open to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. And you know, the good news is we're on the winning team. We're on the winning side. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus, uh, how precious he is, how, how wonderful he is as our Savior, has given us that victory. We started last week a series entitled The Heart of Jesus. And last week, uh, if you remember, we talked about not the heart of the Lord, but we talked about our heart. And we actually talked about loving God with all of our heart. We said the first thing before we jumped into looking at God's heart for us was to examine where our heart lies for Him and making sure that our heart is open and loving towards God that we can fully receive all of His love. 
And this morning I want us to think about now the heart of our Savior. I want us to think about this morning the very heart of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, and particularly verse 29, we get some deep insight about the heart of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus himself says. These are the red letter words of our Lord. And uh, he's talking to those that are weary and worn and need, uh, need the love of God. And so here's what he says. He gives an invitation, and it's to all of us. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I was thinking about the heart in, in this series that we were uh, going to be in, you know, last week I gave you a long list of phrases that people used uh, in reference uh, of the heart and as it applied to different things. Well, this week I kind of had a takeoff of that. I was thinking about it again, and so I googled uh, songs that were on the heart. You might know some of these. For example, the song Straight from the Heart or Open Your Heart or the song Don't Go Breaking My Heart or Quit Playing Games with My Heart or Burning Heart or Two Hearts, The Heart of Rock and Roll, and then, of course, this is my favorite, The Achy, Breaky Heart, right? We all know some of those songs. And uh, matter of fact, I just actually got tired of writing them down. I think there were three or four uh, Google pages of different songs that have just been popular songs about the heart. And the heart does hold a lot of symbolism for us in terms of how we think and our attitudes, how we feel about different things, how we feel about each other. We see it in the world of music. We mention how a lot of our common phrases uh, use that idea of the heart. But again, I want to say I think that the most crucial heart for us to know and understand is the heart of Jesus. You know, when we come to Jesus in Scripture, we learn a lot of things about his heart. For example, we learn the heart of our Lord as it applies to the Father, how they are one and how they're united and how they are uh, intertwined with each other and, and they've never been separate uh, from each other. We, we learn of the heart that Jesus has for the Father to do all the things that the Father had sent him to do and to accomplish we learn Jesus' heart for the sinner. Over and over in the New Testament, we see where Jesus interacts with those who are broken, those who are in sin, those that are not in a relationship with God, and, and how his heart is one of love and forgiveness. We see the heart of Jesus for those who are suffering. Uh, even in this verse here, Jesus says, Come unto me all who are burden and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Jesus has a heart for the hurting uh, all throughout the Bible. We see Jesus and his heart for his friends and particularly the disciples, how he loved them. Go to uh, John chapter 17 and you will read that, uh, I call it really that priestly prayer of Jesus as he's getting ready to go to the cross and before he goes there in the garden he is praying 
for his disciples. A large part of that are of that prayer is for his disciples and he, he tells the father how much he loves them and, and, and that the father had given them to him and he's given them to the father and he's praying for them. Also in that same chapter, Jesus prays for us, those who would follow uh, in the faith, those who would be the church. And there's that prayer that, that, we, that we read and, and hear of his love for the church. And so whether it's the worn or the weary or, or all of these, we, we see the heart of Jesus all throughout the scriptures. Yet in all these stories, in all these teachings of Jesus, and all this information that we have in the New Testament about Jesus and his heart, it's only here in Matthew 11 and verse 29 that Jesus does something rather unique. He opens up his heart to us. Jesus tells us here what's in his heart, who he is at his heart. In the four Gospels, we learn a lot about Jesus, his birth, his ministry, uh, the process of choosing his disciples. You'll find some lengthy sermons. You'll find, I believe, the greatest sermon ever preached there on the Sermon on the Mount there in Matthew. You'll, you'll read the parables and the stories that Jesus gave. You read of his travels, you read of his prayer habits, you read about Jesus facing uh, his adversaries and enemies, you, you read about Jesus facing Satan. We learn a lot about Jesus. We, we learn about how Jesus faced death, we learn about how Jesus uh, dealt with suffering, his own suffering upon the cross, and we read about Jesus and his glorious resurrection. But it's only here. This is the only place in which we get a window or a peek or a crack into the divine heart of God, the Savior that, that we love. It's here in this verse, verse 29, in this simple phrase that Jesus seems to pull back his breastplate and says, okay, I'm going to let you in on who I am, the core me. And here's what he says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Think about it. It is important what others say about Jesus. It's important what uh, the disciples said about Jesus. It's important what the Bible says about Jesus. But most important, I think, is what Jesus says about himself. I thought about that little statement, that little statement of how he is gentle and lowly. It's kind of surprising, to be honest, if you think about it. Jesus doesn't tell of his exalted position or exalted personhood. Often when I meet somebody, you know, uh, I'll say, yeah, I'm, hey, I'm Chris Rigby, and you know what usually follows if uh, I'm meeting somebody for the first time? I'm the pastor at First Baptist Church Alamo. I tell them my position. I tell them what I do. I kind of tell them a little bit of who I am. Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't say, oh, hey, I'm Jesus, the Son of God. I am the Savior, the Messiah that's coming to the world. He, 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 he doesn't do that when he tells us of his heart. He doesn't tell us of his unique, noble, and holy character. We aren't even told of the joyful and generous heart that he has. What Jesus gives here, really, if you, when you think about it, is not what the the world would say would be the most important qualities of a person and wouldn't 
and perhaps be the most important goal that we should seek out in life. I don't know about you, but I have to confess as a parent, I don't know that I really taught my children to be gentle and lowly. You know, I've I, I, I taught them to strive hard, work hard, go after, be hungry, and you know, all those other things that we think make up success in life, but I can't really say that I remember saying to my kids, now you need to be like the Lord, gentle and lowly. What animates Jesus? What gets him going? What does Jesus say is the most true thing about him? What lies at his innermost recesses? When you pull away the layers and you pull back the breastplate, what do you find? When you dig deep into the Savior, what do you come away seeing? And Jesus says it's these two things. I am gentle and lowly. You know, I, I think about that. I have to ask the question, who could have ever thought up such a Savior? Who could have ever come up with such a picture of the one who would give us eternal life? It's in moments like that when you step back and you look at what Scripture has said, what Christ has said about himself, and you're amazed at, at what he's saying and, and what he's putting out, that you realize that, that the Bible truly is the inspired Word of God. The Bible truly is the book of truth. Because it's not what men would say. It's not what the world would say needs to be of the one who would be king and the one who would be savior. To me, it points to the further evidence that Jesus is who he says he is and that he is who he claims to be. I want you to see two things this morning as we look at that gentleness of our Lord and that lowliness of our Lord as it applies to the heart of our Lord. Number one, in the heart of Jesus, I want to say we feel his gentle humility. He says, I am gentle. It's an interesting word in the Greek word. That word is pros. It donates or uh, denotes gentleness, meekness, or mildness. What's rather interesting is this word that we find here in Matthew, uh, verse 29 of chapter 11, really only occurs three other times in the New Testament. You would find this same word mentioned in Matthew 5, verse 5, in that first beatitude where Jesus says that the meek will inherit the earth. It's the same word. Or you would find it there in the prophecy that's given uh, in Matthew 21, verse 5, which is actually quoting Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where Jesus the King, we are told, is coming to you, and here's the word humble, and mounted on a donkey. It's the same word humble there that we have gentle in Matthew. And then we find it also, again, in Peter's encouragement to the wives to nurture more than anything else that hidden purpose, he says, in the heart of the imperishable beauty of a, listen, gentle and quiet spirit. That's what Peter says there in 1 Peter 3 and verse 4. In those three other uses, you hear the words meek, humble, gentle. What is that saying to us? And when Jesus says, I am gentle, what is he saying to us? I believe that Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, I'm not a trigger-happy 
sort of fella. Uh, I'm not harsh. I'm not reactionary. I'm not easily exasperated. Jesus is saying, I'm not a finger-pointing God that is out to get you. And isn't that the way that the world wants us to look at Jesus? You know, that's what the world says. Well, who wants to come to a God that is judgmental and judging and mean and harsh? Jesus says, that's not me. That's not who I am. Aren't you glad that the one who we must come to, the one that we have to come to, is not trigger-happy and harsh and reactionary and gets easily fed up with us, ready to strike us at a, a moment with his judgment? When you think about who Jesus is and who he says he is, I cannot help but think this, how unlike Jesus I am. How unlike Christ we are. By and large, the number of Christians today uh, would probably fit in the category of being fault finders more than being forgivers. Jesus wasn't a fault finder. He, he certainly could point out the fault of anyone that, that he encountered. And there were times that he did. For example, the woman at the well, he pointed out her failing of her life. He pointed out, we mentioned last week to Nicodemus, but really Jesus doesn't doesn't go out of his way to point out the faults of others. He really goes out of his way to help them find forgiveness. He's not quick to give up on others. He's patient. He was patient with Nicodemus and all of his questions. He was patient with Zacchaeus. He was willing to, to go to Zacchaeus' house and to spend the day with Zacchaeus and explain to Zacchaeus about the Father's forgiveness, about the Father's love, about his heart. He's not quick-tempered, though many Christians, I think, would have to say we probably are. I mean, if you want to judge your temperament, just ask yourself, well, how do you feel when you find yourself in a line at Walmart? Or how do you feel when you're in traffic and the light turns green and the guy in front of you uh, won't go. We were in Memphis yesterday. My niece got married. We went down to see her uh, wedding, and we were getting off the uh, interstate and had to stop at a light, and there was a guy there begging uh, for some help and food, and the car in front of us uh, was talking to the man, and I, I, we noticed that he had given him some money, and I just had this thought. Um, I think he's probably witnessing to this guy because they were really talking. We're really engaging light turned green and about two cars back uh, as soon as the light turned green they laid on their horn I thought you know I'm okay if we want to sit here a little longer if that man might hear about Jesus I wondered if that was a Christian back two cars back that wondered uh, or that uh, thought about maybe what was happening four cars in front of him you see the heart of Jesus is so unlike our heart meek and gentle and humble. I would say that that's probably the minority in the church today. If I were to ask you, give me one word that describes Jesus, what word would you give? Before this message, you probably would have thought of 
any other word than that word gentle or meek. Yet what better word could we use than meek? What does it really mean to be meek, to be gentle? I like what one definition I read this week said, and here's what that author said. Meekness can be defined as trusting God in every circumstance and treating other people in the light of this trust. What's meant is the one quality of Jesus that we should be emulating is meekness. In the Sermon on the Mount, we mentioned Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are those uh, are meek, for they'll inherit the earth. Jesus, in other words, is saying, if we are meek, we will be blessed of God, and we will wind up with everything in life that really matters if we're meek. This is so other, utterly opposite of the world. The world is saying that if we're going to be blessed, we've got to have money, might, and muscles, but not meekness. Meekness says, I trust God in every circumstance, and I treat others in light of that trust that I have in God. Scripture tells us, as, as we know, we are called to be like Jesus, but yet we struggle to overcome being like the world. The Bible says we're not to be transformed uh, like this world, but to be conformed to the image of God, and that's through Jesus. At the very core of the heart of Jesus, what we could call his motivational headquarters this is what we find, gentleness. There's a common misconception when we think about gentleness and meekness. And I think that that misconception is this, that meekness and gentleness is somehow weakness. But I would argue and say it couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus was meek, but dear friend, Jesus was not weak. Jesus was never afraid to stand up for what is right and do the right thing. Jesus was never afraid to stand against what was wrong. Jesus was strong in his convictions. He was strong in his boldness. And he didn't miss a chance to speak up and show up where the Father wanted him to be and do what the Father wanted him to do. Yet, where Jesus did act in strength, where Jesus was bold, he was also gentle. We must remember that we can be strong, we can show conviction, but we too do it with, listen, a heart of gentleness. As we start to emulate the gentleness of Jesus and live up to that example, that spirit of gentleness deepens our relationship with God. That gentleness is when we can honestly come before the Lord and we say this, I am going to surrender everything to you, my rights, my desire, my, my wants. I'm going to surrender the way I react to other people, no matter how they treat me. I'm going to surrender my rights to revenge, retaliation, and my right to want what's best for me. That's what it means to, to say that I'm going to choose gentleness. I'm going to, 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 to emulate Christ. To honestly come before the Lord and say that. As I read that, I want you to think about, I want to read it again for you. Does this not sound exactly what Jesus prayed in the garden? 
I'm going to surrender everything to you, Father. My rights, my desire, my wants. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. Matter of fact, he said, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, I'm going to surrender my way that I would want to react to people, no matter how they treat me. And did Jesus do that? Absolutely. He prayed over and over, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm going to surrender my right to revenge, retaliation, and my right to, to, to what I want and what's best for me. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels, but Jesus surrendered everything to the Father. You see, gentleness is power under control, and that control comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. When we allow the Spirit to have this type of power over us and in us, then we begin to bear out the fruit of a gentle life. So the heart of our Lord is the heart in which we feel the gentleness of Jesus. Secondly, in the heart of Jesus is where we find his lowly humility. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Those two words seem to be the same, but they're different. That word lowly uh, is tapenos in that Greek. And, and that word is a word that means to, to be brought low, it, to not to rise off the ground. It's a word that's translated in that uh, memorable song of Mary where we find the scripture saying, He hath put down the mighty from their seat and exalted them of low degree. It's used in Romans and Paul says, Mind not the high things, but uh, condescend to men of low estate. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, 6, and it's put a little bit differently here, God that comforteth those who are, listen, cast down. And James says in his epistle, it's translated humble there, he resisteth the proud but giveth grace to the humble. What is low humility? What is real low humility? It's a person who knows and accepts themselves for who they are. How rare it is to find a person who knows and accepts themselves for what they are and who they are. You see, Jesus taught self-denial. But what Jesus never taught was self-rejection. Being lowly isn't going around and berating one your, uh, oneself. Being lowly doesn't mean you go around and talk about how awful you are or, or how bad you are or how no good you are. There are many people today that go around and, and, and they berate themselves. They put themselves down. Uh, they act this way when the truth is they are a child of God and they're, they're a child of the grace of God and they've been made in the image of God and and the image that they're presenting is not the true and accurate picture. When you take these two words and you put these two adjectives together, gentle and lowly, you know what I think it says about Jesus? And I wrote this word out and really just colored it in my notes. Balanced. He's a balanced guy. Jesus is the most balanced individual our world has ever known. Today, our world is, is 
it's prone to go to extremes and all things. And, and people in general are, are, are drawn to the extremes of life. Uh, you know, for example, we're either puffed up and proud and arrogant or we're self-rejecting and negative towards ourselves and have no proper self-esteem. Romans 12, verse 3, listen to what Paul says there. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Do you see the balance there? Romans 12, 3 is Jesus. We're not to think more highly of ourselves than than we should. That's sinful exaggeration. I mean, now, if anyone could ever think highly of himself, it was Christ. After all, he is the pinnacle. He is God. He is the Almighty. He is the All-Holy. He is the All-Powerful. He is the All-Knowing. There is none like him. Yet Jesus doesn't go around saying, hey, I'm the greatest. There's no sinful exaggeration in him. We're to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. This is not false humiliation. God has given every person a measure of faith, but in sober estimation. Jesus taught that we're, we're also unbelievably valuable to God, that God has given his only son that we can have eternal life. Jesus said that we are more valuable, for example, than the birds of the air. And then in that lesson, he goes on to say, if the Lord has, if the Father has provided for them, why would he not provide for you? And Jesus taught that you and I are so loved by the Father. And that we are to love others as he loves us. And one of the things that Jesus taught was that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But listen... If you don't love yourself, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor. And the Bible teaches that God hates pride. What is pride? Well, may I tell you what pride is? When you understand what pride is, you can understand what real humility is. Pride is an attitude of independence of God. Pride doesn't rely upon the grace of God. Pride is the spirit of ungratefulness of what God has done. And pride is the esteeming of ourselves better than other people. That's what pride is. So what we see is you are who you are by the grace of God, but yet at the same time, we can never take credit for that. We live humbly before our God. We praise God for the things that he's given us, for the blessings we have. We learn self-denial. Jesus says, deny thyself, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus teaches it. Jesus took the place of a slave. Jesus humbled himself to the point of a servant. The one of the last things that Jesus did was to wash the feet of his disciples, to teach them, don't be a prideful child of God. Don't seek self, but the good of others. Jesus knew he came from God. Jesus knew he was God. Jesus knew he was going to God. Jesus had committed uh, all things into the Father's hands. And Jesus knew that the Father had committed all things into his hands. But even in this knowledge, even in this truth, Jesus was truly humble.
His humility was real. Do you see the balance? Pride divides. Humility of lowliness unites. Let me ask you something. If you could give our nation one thing, one spoonful of something that would be good for our nation, what might it be? Gentle lowliness or real humility would be a good spoonful of medicine for our nation. Think of the things that we could solve in society if we just had that one change of attitude. That one little change where we put others first and not ourselves, Where we didn't make everything out about us but for the good of others. Jesus says, Come to me all you labor who are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you find rest for my souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We put the passage into context as we close. We've pulled back the breastplate of Jesus. We've looked deep into his heart. We've looked at our heart. But notice how Matthew fits into what the Lord is teaching here. He gives an invitation to come to him. We can approach Jesus with boldness and assurance because he is gentle and lowly. And we can take his yoke upon ourselves, not afraid because we know we cannot do it. But we can take his yoke upon us because we know that what we cannot do, he can do through us. We talked about it last week. It is the new birth. Nicodemus, you need a new birth. Nicodemus was trying to live life on his own priority, his own plan. Nicodemus was a good man. He, he, he was, I think, a generous man. I, the Bible really says he was a ruler, and, and I think he was a well-respected ruler over the Jews. But something was missing. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You're missing this balance that you need that only comes from me. The Christian life is inescapably one of toil and labor. And it's hard not to be proud. It's hard not to be selfish. But yet, with Jesus in us, that which is hard becomes easy. I like what one writer I read this week said, Jesus is like helium in a balloon. You think about it. You take a balloon and one that's not been inflated with air. It's heavy and it, what, you, you let it go and it just falls to the ground. You tie a string onto it, it'll fall to the ground. It just flops, doesn't it? Now you blow it full of air and it becomes a little lighter, right? You can kind of hit it. But with just regular air, it still will sink back down to the ground. But you put helium, helium in that balloon, what? You better hold on to it. Because it's going to go as high as the ceiling will let it. And if you're outside, it's going to keep going and going and going and going. 
That's what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 11. My yoke is light because I come into your life and where you can't be gentle and you can't be lowly, I will be that for you. And Jesus gives us that invitation to come, to let him live in us. Partake of the meat, M-E-A-T, of Christ's humility. Let me ask you to do something as we close this morning. Just look for a moment at your hand. Look at your back of your hand, the palm of your hand. Suppose for a moment that I said, okay, we're going to shoot a documentary. We're going to tell a story of your life based upon your hand. If it's an infant's hand, we'd say probably, oh, how sweet, how innocent, how soft, how delicate. As a hand of a child, you might say, well, eh, kid likes to play in mud, likes to put his hands where probably shouldn't because there's grease and dirt and bug juice on it. As a hand of a teenager, you would find strength and vitality and youth. As a young adult, you might find, well, well, there's a hand of a young married person with a ring on it, that young lady or young man. Again, you would find strength. As you get older, you would say, oh my goodness, there's uh, sunspots and there's those wrinkly things and my skin is thin and calloused. What would your story say? Would your hands say about you that you have been meek and lowly? What would God say about you in your life? Would there be lines that have scarred you that say that you have been gentle in the graces of God and lowly in the service of God? I mentioned it a few weeks ago the hands of Jesus. You thought about his hands. His hands will forever be what they were here on earth. We know that because the New Testament tells us. He said to Thomas, Thomas, come here. Put your finger into my hands and feel where the nails have been. Gentleness and lowliness. One day in heaven we're going to get to see and meet our Savior face to face. Perhaps maybe Jesus will extend his hand to shake your hand, to extend his hand to put it around your neck and to love you. Those of us who've been worn and weary, who've come to him, and in the hands of Jesus, we will feel what we've read this morning about the heart of our Savior, who was gentle and lowly of spirit. Heavenly Father, oh, what a Savior.
Oh, what a son. Oh, what a king. Lord, maybe someone's here today that, that has been wrestling and are listening online about being a Christian, like Nicodemus, knowing that there is something missing in their life and doing it their way and on their priority and by their plan just isn't cutting it. Something is not right, something not in their life, and that something is you, Jesus, and there needs to be that new birth. And Lord, maybe that, that, that thought has been in the back of the mind and the heart for some time now to come to you, Jesus. And there's that fear and that worry about stepping out and, 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 and coming with assurance. And, and Lord, we're not only just maybe our fears and worries with you, but our fears and doubts over ourself. Anything and everything that, that, that would hold us back, Satan would use. But Lord, we see this morning this beautiful picture that you are gentle and lowly. You, you're, you're not trigger happy. You're, you're not quick fingered to point out all the, the, the horrible things about who we are in our sin. But your, your arms are open and your hands are ready to receive us because you are gentle and lowly. You truly love us. And more than that, you want to live within us. And what we cannot do, you will do through your power and might, through the Holy Spirit in our life. So, Lord, perhaps someone today needs to just come to you and ask you, Jesus, save me from my sin. That simple prayer, that simple step of faith is all it takes. Lord, perhaps there's a Christian today that says, I know I'm saved, but I'm not living on the plane of where I need to be. I'm quick-tempered. I'm, I get easily frustrated. I, I, I'm not lowly or gentle. Uh, and Lord, I need to be more like you. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that we would draw closer to your heart and to who you are and make that our effort to live out, Lord, your heart and your hands in this world. Whatever decision this morning, Jesus, let us do what is in your word to do. We ask in your mighty name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. The Lord spoken. You come. We pray God's blessings upon you as you worship with us today. If God has led you to make a decision today for Jesus, we would love to hear about it. We invite you to come to our website come to thecross.net. Our online decision card will allow you to tell us about the decision that you're making. All decisions, all contacts are kept private and are confidential. However, we would be able to pray for you and perhaps I'd even be able to call you and pray with you about what God has led you to do if you so desire. So fill out the form, let us know, and just know that we love you and God loves you. And we're excited that you're taking this first step for God today.